0: And you want to have a seat. This morning, uh, it is a privilege of mine uh, to get to preach uh, to y'all this morning uh, on Pentecost Sunday. I uh, have been born and raised in this church. And I think because of that, it is always uh, a special honor to get to hold this pulpit. I um, was raised listening to sermons behind this pulpit. I was raised um, getting to, you know, I'll say it this way. I heard it said not long ago that much is taught, but most is caught. And when I was a child, I remember even when this sanctuary was half the size as it was, and I was sitting over there on that front left pew, uh, I, I remember that uh, you know, I was taught a lot of things in Sunday school and by my parents, but when the anointing of God would enter this room, there was something that you caught that wouldn't be that wouldn't have been able to be taught. And it was the Spirit of the Lord, uh, you know, moving on my heart. And because of that, I am I am so uh, supremely uh, grateful for what the Lord has done in my life, what He's doing in the life of this church, and your life, and. And because of that, I say it all, all that together just to let you know how much I uh, do appreciate getting to preach uh, here on on the Sunday morning service. If you would open up your Bibles with me today, and we're going to go to the book of Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And honestly, y'all probably don't have to turn there. A lot of you, I'm sure, know it by heart. But, book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 8, it says, But ye shall receive power, after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you. Somebody say, I'm going to receive power, after the Holy Ghost is come upon me. And ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. I'm going to receive power when the Holy Ghost comes upon me. Do I have a witness in this house? Hallelujah. This morning, it's going to sound like I'm at a wedding, but this morning we are gathered together today. Because of one important thing. Because we are in celebration of the day when God gave birth to the church. That deserves a hand clap of praise, not for me, but for the Lord the day that God launched the gospel ship. I I don't know if you've noticed. I'm going to need some participation this morning, okay? But this is the day that God gave birth to the church, the day he launched this gospel ship. So hear me, if you're saved this morning, why don't you pat yourself on the back and sing happy birthday in your head because today is the day that we remember how it all started. Amen? Amen. 2,000 years ago, upon the ascension of Jesus Christ after his burial and resurrection, Christ Jesus gave a tag-team handoff with the Holy Ghost. And as the Lord went up, the Spirit came down, and the body of Christ from then on was sent off like a nuclear warhead going to combat spiritual darkness with supernatural power. Amen. In the chronology of God, the plan of salvation had been made complete. Jesus had been crucified. He died. He was buried. He was resurrected. He conquered the grave. He was resurrected from the dead and he had ascended up to heaven. And the only thing that was left to do was to empower the believer. And that is exactly what happened on the day of Pentecost. Before Jesus ascended to the right hand of God to advocate on your behalf, to uh, plead your case, to intercede for you, It was with nail prints in each of his hands that he outstretched his arms and told his disciples, he said, do not leave Jerusalem. He said, do not leave Jerusalem, which you've, uh, excuse me, wait for the gift that my father promised, which you've heard me talk about. He said, for John, he baptized with water. But in just a few days, you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And about 10 days later, there were 120 people gathered together in an upper room in Jerusalem. They were in in prayer. They were gathered together in, in one accord, in one place, unified. And they were tarrying on the promise of God, this Holy Spirit that was to come. And it says in Acts chapter 2 that when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And then suddenly, somebody say suddenly. Don't you love it when God sends a suddenly? Suddenly there came a sound from heaven. Come on, somebody, as of a rushing and mighty wind. And filled the house where they were sitting. And it appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire. And it sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit of God gave the utterance. Listen to me this morning. It was in Acts where Luke writes that there were Jews in Jerusalem from every nation under heaven. Every nation under heaven. And when they heard that holy roller racket, that holy commotion that was taking place in that upper room, Those Jews from every nation, they came together saying, how on earth are they speaking in our native tongue? They said, aren't these Galileans? How are they speaking the wonders of God in our native language? They said, what meaneth this? And then others began to mock and to scoff and say, oh, well, they've just gotten a little tipsy from the bottle. They've just been drinking a little too much wine. But hear me, it was about that time when the Apostle Peter stood up with the eleven. Hallelujah. And he stood up. What a sight that must have been. The same Peter that denied Jesus three times stood up on the day of Pentecost. And he said, these people are not drunk as you suppose. Hallelujah. It's only nine in the morning. He said, Joel said this. He said, it shall come to pass. Hallelujah. Somebody wake up in this church. It shall come to pass in these last days. I'm going to pour out of my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men are going to dream dreams on my servants, on both men and women. I'm pouring out of my spirit, and they're going to prophesy. I'm going to show wonders in heaven, signs on the earth beneath Beneath, below, blood, fire, billows of smoke. The sun's going to be turned to darkness. The moon into blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord. And the best part is, everybody who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Hallelujah. Acts 2.37, it says, when the people heard this, by the Spirit of God, it says, they were cut to the heart. They were cut, that's the words. They were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter, They said, What shall we do? What, what are we to do with this? And Peter said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in Jesus' name, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you're going to receive the gift of. Of the Holy Spirit. And this is beautiful. He said, the promise is for you and your children. And for all who are afar off. For all whom the Lord God will call. Peter even said, he said, save yourself from this corrupt generation. Hallelujah. Peter said, y'all, what are we to do with this? Jump in the Holy Ghost River for such a time as this. Get in the flow, somebody. And repent. Be baptized. Let me tell you, that day 3,000 people were saved. That right there is Pentecost. That right there was the birth of the church. That's where it all started. That's the fire that we talk about. That's the fire that we preach about. It's fervency. It's prayer. It's unity. It's manifestation. It's signs and wonders. It's evangelism. That's where we come from. Hallelujah. That's who we are. That's what we do. You see, this power, it came from a baptism of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in tongues as the Spirit gave the utterance. Church, we were born in the fire. We were raised in the fire. And hear me, we're going to stay in the fire until Jesus Christ comes back to take home his church. Amen. Before we had this this blessed baptism and fire we had jesus walking alongside us here on earth and and let me tell you mankind received many miracles from the hand of god we received the best teaching the best preaching the, the, the greatest parables no greater speaker than he and of course we also received the ultimate gift of salvation from jesus hallelujah But Jesus himself said this. He said, I tell you the truth. He said, it's expedient for you that I go away, for if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. Let me tell you something. Where Jesus Christ was our Counselor, the Spirit became our Comforter. Where Jesus was our Water of Life, the Spirit all of a sudden became the River. And where Jesus washed us in the blood, the Spirit now baptized in fire. Let me tell you something. I've got good news today. The same Pentecostal power that started this thing in the book of Acts is the same Pentecostal power that's going to carry us through to the end of it at the end of the age and let me tell you something king jesus is coming to bring a harvest to this world and he's gonna he's gonna reap that harvest but it's got to be done by a church that operates and flows in the manifest power of god and i've there's no way to say this eloquently but it's about time the modern day contemporary church got off of its pretentious arrogant self-seeking prideful butt and received a fresh dose of holy ghost power in this last day it's time the church humbled itself and prayed where are you faster where are you prayer warrior i'm telling you humblers get to an altar for once in your life don't expect your child to go there if he's never seen you there we got to receive a fresh dose of fire we got to get a new coat of anointing oil. we got to get a new backbone for sanctification and righteousness. we got to quit thinking that we don't need it, that we're okay without it. The truth is, you're pathetic without the fire of the Holy Ghost. All you are is an unlit torch in a box of wet matches without the fire. If you don't have the fire of Pentecost, all you become is a museum of former glories. The church needs to get back to Pentecostal power. Hallelujah. To get loose for once in church. To have a little joy in its feet. To have a spirit that says, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. Y'all are waking up finally. (laughs) Made me sweat half a pound just to get you there. (laughs) Lamb of God. Okay. There's a lot. There is a lot that has been said about the church waking up. There's been a lot said about that, about the church opening up its eyes, getting out of the the slumber that so many of us have spiritually been in. And I believe that COVID-19 was a big, big factor of that. So many, so much so that, you know, we honestly, some of the church might not recover from its dormancy. That might have been the point. But I believe that the church does need to wake up. I believe we need a wake-up call. I, honestly, though, I don't know how we can get much more of a wake-up call than to turn on the news right now. But I do believe wholeheartedly that we need to come out of a dormancy that we've slipped into because we've gotten comfortable in it. I believe that much of the church, hear me now, much of the church has become spiritually blind to things that former generations were not. Do you hear that? In fact, former generations prohibited certain things because they saw where we'd end up because of them. Now listen to me. I love Lucy and Gunsmoke were not so bad back in those years, right? But hear me. The fact is, is that former generations prohibited such activity because they saw where we'd end up because of it. They saw where we'd end up because of it. And now that, hear me, Pentecost, now that we as Pentecostals, the Pentecostal church, we've indulged in, in, in this, these activities, these things, that we, and we've titled it, liberation from legalism really what it is is a departure from holiness because it's easier to have fun monday to saturday and then act like you got something holy on sunday but hear me we've gained the entertainment but we've lost the power and witness and that's a fact jack we've gained the entertainment We've gained the lifestyle, but we've lost the power and the witness. And while we indulge ourselves in what seems to be no big deal, I've got to ask myself, what have we sacrificed for it? The church has, has taken on a, a Dr. Jekyll. And Mr. Hyde dichotomy with the world. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a friendship with, a friendship with, uh, friends with benefits relationship with the culture that the church has taken on. And hear me, as, as the church begins to look and sound more and more like the culture, it's also crying out for more and more of the spirit. Every post you see, every song we sing, every sermon you hear, God sends your spirit down. But I just, I just wonder what made him leave to begin with. What what grieved him so? The church needs to wake up. These are I'm telling you that there's topics I could preach on this morning that Pastor Michael or Brother Johnson could preach on this morning that hear me, some of you would not receive in your spirit. Because hear me now, there are things that are now allowed in our lives that have contaminated our standard of holiness and purity. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying this morning? Here's the problem. Here's the problem. Are you ready? This right here is the Pentecostal epidemic. Are you ready for it? Many people who claim to be spiritually awake are really just woke. Clap for crying out loud. Many people that claim to spiritually be awake have just become woke. What does that mean? What does that mean? How can a Pentecostal be woke? Let me tell you something. Really and truly, a Pentecostal cannot be woke in the sense that we see it on the news, okay? But hear me. The same title, I mean, excuse me, the same spirit, the same spirit that we see on NBC Uh, Fox, CNN, all those news stations that's titled woke, listen to me, that same spirit can attach itself to people in the church, and that results in a woke Pentecost. What is a woke Pentecost? Woke Pentecost, y'all better write this down. Woke Pentecost is when you have an imitation of spiritual function, but you also carry a spirit of entitlement, pride, and offense. It's a line. Hear me now, woke Pentecost. It's a line that people. Uh, it's a line of people that they they, they, know, they know the spiritual ropes. They know the the pentecostal functions they know the holy ghost way they they know how to act saved they claim to believe in what's right but hear me in large part their sincere walk with the lord is over when they walk out the back doors of the church and the sincere part of their week with the lord is really a deception because they don't have a relationship with god even when they are here it's an act but they're deceived from it woke in the spirit hear me now is when you think you're always getting mistreated when you think you've been wronged or you're owed something, woke in the spirit, hear me, that, that, that's what you're, it, it makes you think that what you're going through is too hard to possibly be God's will. Let me tell you something. Wokeism is a deception of the devil. And the wokeism in the church will make the church a passive aggressive body instead of a military arm, a militant army force. Listen to me. Wokeism. The devil will try to take whatever is wrong and whatever is false and twist it to make it seem like it's right and that it's truth. He takes a bottle of poison and relabels it as your medicine. He is the author of confusion and he wants to make you think that the real is the false and that the false is the real. Woke in the spirit-filled church is a deception that makes you think you're more spiritual than you really are. This deception is going to leave people on judgment day saying, Lord, did we not cast out devils in your name? He's going to say, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye worker of iniquity. There is a mission from God through Pentecost. And let me tell you, that mission is one thing. It's revival. The mission of God through Pentecost is revival. Listen to me. God has and he always will have a plan. And his plan through Pentecost was and it still is revival. And hear me. In the plan of God, a vessel. I need you to follow me now because I'm about to take you somewhere. In the plan of God, a vessel has always been necessary. But listen to me. We will forsake our call to revival if we as a vessel are more woke then awake. We... We'll place our Pentecostal blessing on the altar of Baal if we as a body of believers don't call out what's wrong as wrong and love unabashedly for what's right according to the Scriptures and not our own eyes. Does anybody hear me? If we succumb to entitlement, self-pity, and offended spirits, we will forsake participating in the last final day outpouring. If we remain content without the manifestation of the Holy Ghost in our church and in our lives Listen to me. Then we will become a cruise that instead of holding oil of the Spirit, we will only hold the memory of what was. The church was born in Pentecost. The church has grown in Pentecost. And until the rapture, the church is going to operate in Pentecost. So the question is this. Are you going to be a part of that number? Are you awake or are you woke? Do you have a heart? Do you have a mind to see what the Spirit is saying to the church? Or do you have a conviction to wake up and see his? glory or maybe it's just you you're woke and you're stuck in the mud of your own pride and self-seeking motivations but you label it as the spirit's leading in Pentecost revival is the goal power that's going to be the means and sanctification is the cost sanctification that church sanctification is our price and we cannot afford to watch the river flow without Calvary Worship Center jumping in the middle of it. Amen? we got to get to a point where we don't care how undignified it might make us look. Because when God's behind the wheel, who are we to say to slow down or to turn around? A very well-known minister uh, well, it was, uh, some of you are going to know his name, B.H. Clinton. And he said this. He said, and I didn't want to reword it because it was just too good. He said, The work of God in time and the purpose of God in eternity demand a human instrument for their fulfillment, a vessel. Let me tell you something this morning, church, throughout all of history, God's only need has been a human vessel through which he could pour himself. That's been the one need. When the, hear me now. When the church has provided the vessel, God has always supplied the river. When the church has provided a vessel, God has always supplied the river. The problem is that before we can be poured into as a vessel, we're often so woke that we have to become broke. We have to be broken of our ways to be used of His. And this morning, we're going to talk about what it is to be a vessel for Pentecost. The prophet Ezekiel, he saw a vision from the Lord, and in this vision, Ezekiel saw the temple, he saw a church, he saw, he saw the house of God, and out of that house of the Lord flowed a river, it flowed the river, and the river healed everything that it touched. And as the river flowed from the house of the Lord, it produced trees alongside the banks whose leaves, the word says, were for the healing of nations. These trees brought forth new fruit every single month. And these trees, hear me, church, in Ezekiel, they are symbolic of people. This holy river flowing from the sanctuary, it produced, hear me now, spiritual men and women whose roots drawing life from the river of the Spirit became the source of healing for the nations. Are you following me this morning? If we're going to have healing in our nation, I'm here to tell you this morning, it will never come from an election or an official position. If we're going to have healing in our nation, it's only going to come from vessels, men or women, who are rooted alongside the bank of the river of the Holy Ghost, whose roots run deep into the flow of the Spirit, drawing life and power from that blessed river. Listen to me. we got to receive life. From the flow of the Holy Ghost and then become that conduit of healing and good fruit. Let me tell you, without the prepared human vessel, rivers, they're not going to flow. God, and don't shoot me when I say this, listen to me first. God doesn't just pour his spirit out on communities. That was seen on the day of Pentecost. He doesn't do that. The Spirit didn't fall on Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. The Spirit fell on the 120 prepared hearts. It fell on the 120 prepared hearts, and then through them it flowed to the nations. Listen to me. With God, when it comes to God, when it comes to revival, when it comes to Him moving, with God, there is is no, absolutely no delay. Hear me. Revival only awaits the obedience of the church. Before God poured out the fire on Pentecost, he was not out back on a smoke break. God doesn't need a break. God doesn't require preparation. He's always ready to pour out of his spirit. But it's the unpreparedness of the vessel that will hold back the hand of blessing. What's that mean for us? It means that the responsibility for revival awaits the obedience of the church and not God. Hear me, the the responsibility of fixing the time of God's visitation, it rests on us, not Him. But hear me, if we'll give to God a vessel of unquestioning obedience, our breaking, our sanctification, today will be followed by God's wonders tomorrow. Hear me, God has always required a human instrument, a vessel, and for the Pentecostal mission, He requires no less than a church that stands up on its two feet, awake and connected to the river of the Spirit that's flowing by its front doors. And it will become the healing for the nations. Hallelujah. Being a vessel, it's not always easy. But hear me a vessel is always necessary. It's always necessary. In our Old Testament, to produce the nation of Israel, God called Abraham. To preserve the nation of Israel, God called Joseph. To deliver the nation of Israel, God called Moses. And to instruct the nation of Israel, God called prophets. Man is always involved in the purposes of God. Don't think you're going to sit by and get a blessing you didn't put something in. The purpose of God and the destiny of mankind, hear me, They're both involved with the vessel. And because of that, God spares nothing. You need to hear this this morning. God spares nothing in the forging and the preparation of such a vessel. If you've been a vessel for very long, you know that there is hardship. And there are burdens that come along with being a vessel for the Lord. It's hard. It can be heartbreaking. It's discouraging. But hear me to produce the nation of Israel, Abraham, he'll be forced into a 25-year walk of faith. Called out at the ripe old age of 75, he was given a promise from God that was humanly impossible. Abraham is sent looking for a land that he's never seen. And when you're a vessel, every thought, every attitude, every emotion... It's all going to be tested. It's all going to be tested. The vessel, hear me now, the vessel can't be decorated and sculpted the way that it wants to be seen. It has to become broken and reshaped into the image of its purpose. It's hard, but heartbreaking, hear me now, heartbreaking mistakes will be allowed from the vessel so that the vessel can become purged of all self-help, all wrong mindsets and wrong attitudes and just like abraham when you're in the fiery trials of faith man is always tempted to help god fulfill the promise but listen to me that's not permissible that's not permissible hear me when the promise is fulfilled the glory it can't be shared with the vessel the credit at the end of the day has got to go all and only to the hand of God. And listen to me, that's part of the breaking is getting over that. I've found personally and in the lives of people I've worked with, most of the warfare that we face as believers isn't necessarily demonic as much as it is warfare with our own surrender. It's a a, a faith fight. And hear me, if we're to be used at some point, We have to break. It was 10 years after the promise, and the situation looked hopeless. Sarai's womb was dead. Abram was 85. The possibility for them having a a son was zero. And they decided to take matters into their own hands. Sarai told Abram, she said, the Lord restrained me from bearing children. She said, I pray thee, go to my maid, and, and I might obtain children by her and Abraham, like a doofus, obliged. He obliged. Sarah gave Hagar to be Abram's wife, and they had a child outside of God's provision. And here, outside of God's provision, and here's the fact: this attempt of Abraham and Sarah to do spiritual work through carnal means brought us a curse that remains on this earth to this day. To this day. But hear me, for the sake of forging the vessel, God allowed this mistake. Because if you're going to be used of him, at some point you got to be purged of all self-help. For the sake of forging the vessel. You see, the vessel has to pass through trials that are beyond human endurance so that maybe we'll quit relying on human endurance. And it takes a breaking season for this truth to make it from our brains to our hearts. And there's no other way than through a breaking season. It was through a series of events that God delivered Abraham from his own efforts. And he visited him once again with the promise renewed. God said, "Uh, I will certainly return unto thee according to the time of life. And lo, Sarah thy wife shall have a son. And then Genesis 21, it says, the Lord visited Sarah as he said. And the Lord did unto Sarah as he had spoken. For Sarah conceived and bare Abraham, a son in his old age, at the set time of which God had spoken to him. Hear me, God brought the promise around because he stayed faithful. But listen to me, there was yet another test that the vessel had to go through. Genesis 22 said, God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham? And he said, Behold, here I am. And he said, take now thy son, thine only son, Isaac, the promise whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah and offer him there for a burnt offering upon the mountains which I tell thee of. Now hear me, the writer spared us the agony of that night with Abraham. The hours of hopeless, frustrated, confused contemplation, the tumultuous storm that must have been his heart all night long, saying, God, this was your promise you gave to me. You even renewed this promise to me. Now you're telling me to sacrifice it. God, was that really you to begin with? You can imagine the, the questioning. The writer, he simply recorded that Abraham rose up early in the morning and went to the place God had told him. And it was with a great conviction to stand in obedience to God's command that Abraham moved to offer his son. And Abraham stretched forth his hand. He took the knife to slay his son. And then just before Abraham plunged the knife into his son Isaac, an angel of the Lord cried out to him. It said, lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thine son, thine only son from me. And listen to me, the old man, Abraham, stood that day on Mount Moriah as the vessel of the Lord. Having been forged in a furnace of affliction and trial, God now at this point could pour himself through the vessel to effect his purpose. It says, the angel of the Lord called unto Abraham out of heaven and said, I have sworn, saith the Lord, for because thou hast done this thing, and you haven't withheld your son, thine only son, that in blessing I will bless thee. And in multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars of heaven, and as the sand which is on the seashore, and thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because thou hast obeyed my voice. Listen to me, that's the product of once being broken and finally waking up for the purpose that you as a vessel were finally forged for. You see, Joseph, like Abraham, he'll hear the call of God to preserve the nation, but Joseph is, I mean, completely, totally unqualified for the task. At the time of calling, aren't we all unqualified for the task? And I think that's part of why God takes us and calls us to uncomfortable areas, because it's in our weakness, without self-help, that he is made strong. And it's at the time of the call, Joseph, he didn't really appear to be vice president material, did he? He had been spoiled by his father, uh, who was elderly elderly at the time of his birth. And naturally speaking, honestly, God, it looked like he had made the wrong choice. But in order to forge, I need y'all to hear this now, in order to forge Joseph into the vessel through which God could preserve the nation, Joseph had to pass through a time of complete and absolute rejection. Absolute rejection. Joseph, he was slowed into slavery by his brothers and later was betrayed by a woman whose lies caused him to be thrown into an Egyptian prison. And can I tell you something that's crazy? All of this was done with the permission of God. All of it. Through these tests and through these trials, a vessel was being forged through which the purpose of God could flow. It was a lot of pressure, but hear me, there is, there there was, nor is any other way. There is no other way. You see, Joseph, he was a dreamer. And when he was just a kid, God had spoken to Joseph in a dream. And in that dream, God revealed unto him that he would indeed preserve and keep the nation of Israel alive. And it was with that word from the Lord that all hell broke loose. The fury of hell was unleashed on the young man. Twenty years of this hell Joseph had to pass through. They were years designed to see whether or not Joseph believed what God would say. And in Psalm 105, it says, Joseph was laid in iron and the word of the Lord tried him. In that damp, cold, filthy prison cell, probably sitting in his own filth, you can imagine a thousand demons came and challenged that young man's faith. They told him, I'm sure, that God had never really spoken. They told him that it's, never the will of God, to suffer the way he was suffering. And in those frigid nights of the soul, the Lord was forging a vessel. And it was that time when Joseph put his foot down and God had spoken to him. He put his foot down, God had spoken to him, and he refused to believe that the circumstances that seemingly contradicted the promise would be his doom. He refused to believe that. And in spite of all the affliction, Joseph stood on the word of the Lord. One day, he sat in that dungeon, and it seemed as though he was completely erased by the human and divine recollection. Totally forgotten, it seemed like. A thousand devils were screaming in his ear that he was a fool for his faith. And the very next day, let me tell you something, hearing those screams from the enemy the very next day, he was riding out on the second chariot to Pharaoh. And then Psalm 105 says, the king sent and loosed him and let him go free. Let him go free. In fact, he made him the lord of his house, the ruler of his substance, to bind his princes at his pleasure, teach his senators wisdom, and increased his people greatly and made them stronger than their enemies. Hear me, all God needed was a human instrument so committed, so committed that he could pour himself through it. And in Joseph, he found such a vessel for God to use him how he intended him. The rejection, it was necessary. If he wouldn't have been put over the fire, Joseph would have operated more woke than he would have been awake. And the credit wouldn't have gone to the mercy of God, but rather to the wit and the skill of man. The breaking is necessary. The rejection is necessary. The isolation is necessary because God's forging something in you that you could never do on your own. Amen? Moses He miserably failed in his effort to deliver a nation. When he was 40 years old, he felt the call to deliver Israel, the nation of Israel, the Jews. Hebrews says he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. His heart was in the right place, but Exodus 2 says it came to pass in those days when Moses was grown that he went out unto his brethren and looked on their burdens. And he spied an Egyptian, smiting in Hebrew, one of his brethren. And he looked this way and that way. And when he saw that there was no man, he slew the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. And now when Pharaoh heard this, he sought to slay Moses. But Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh and dwelt in the land of Midian. Listen to me. Having failed in his first effort to deliver the people of God, Moses was then driven driven into the wilderness of Midian, where, hear me now, for another 40 years, he was having to herd a different man's sheep. For 40 years, he had a call to deliver a nation, but he spent it tending to a flock. Now, unbeknownst to him and those around him, God was using a flock of sheep to forge Moses into a vessel that would deliver the flock of God. But hear me, to shape this vessel for God's purpose, it required long years of isolation. Long years. You see, many are called, but few are chosen. Rather than face the fire, rather than face the prison, rather than than face the desert, most people quit. They never make it. The vessel through which God can pour Himself has to be delivered from all ambition. Listen to me yourself has to die, and death is not always peaceful or painless. When Moses first felt that call of God, he was a man who was mighty in word and mighty in deed. He felt that he was capable of delivering the nation. But can I tell you the problem? He had the zeal, but he wasn't awake yet. He had the zeal, but he wasn't broken. And in that time, God rejected him for the purpose, because the vessel hadn't been forged. Forty years later, that call to deliver a nation was renewed. And while he was keeping the sheep of his father-in-law, he led the flock of sheep to the backside of the desert and came to Mount Horeb. And there what he saw was a bush burning with fire, but the bush was not being consumed. He went to investigate why that bush is not in ashes yet. And then all of a sudden God spoke to him. God called, saying, Moses, Moses. He said, Here am I. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters. For I know their sorrows, and I am come down to deliver them out of the land of the Egyptians. Come now, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Can I tell you something this morning? This time, the call to deliver a nation for Moses was different. Because the wilderness had broken him. The wilderness had broken him. He was no longer so confident in his ability to deliver the people. He isn't the mighty man of word and deed that he once thought of himself as. He, he pleaded with God and he said, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? I, I, Lord, I'm not eloquent. I'm slow of speech. I'm, I'm slow of tongue. And God's response to this was priceless. God says to Moses, he says, who hath made man's mouth? Who hath made man's mouth, or who maketh the dumb, or the dead, or the seeing, or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Now go, and I will be thy mouth, and teach thee what thou shalt say. Listen to me. Moses felt the job was too much for him, but that's when God said, now you're ready. Now you're ready. Church, let me tell you, it's going to be when you come to the end of yourself that God's going to say, now I've got something to work with. If you're going to be a vessel, you're going to be brought to utter helplessness so that when the victory comes, you aren't taking any of the glory and you're going to be sculpted to be what God wants you to be and not what you think you're supposed to be. Hear me, Israel knew that Moses didn't part the waters of the Red Sea. They knew that he didn't provide the cloud by day and the fire by night. They knew that he didn't send the manna from heaven every single day. They knew he was just the vessel for God to work through. Forever, hear me, forever and always, when God lays his hand upon a human instrument, there begins the process of making the vessel the truth that it's to bring. The process is always the same. The process has always been the same. It's through death and resurrection. It's through death and resurrection. If there's to be an increase of Christ in your life, then something in the human must become the burnt offering for a sacrifice. Are y'all hearing me this morning? You see, just like Abraham, Joseph, and Moses were vessels, there there were prophets called to instruct the nation of Israel. And the prophets, they had to pass through fires of trials and, and testing until they actually became so one with the truth that they brought, that they... Felt as God, felt. God called Ezekiel when the nation was wholly given to idolatry. And to be effective, the prophet had to feel what God felt. It couldn't have just been mere words, church. It couldn't have been lip service. It couldn't have been mechanical. The man or woman of God has to feel the message that God is sending them to deliver. And Ezekiel's message, in essence, is, God's wife, Israel, is dead, and nobody cares. The prophet's heart has to feel what God's heart feels. It has to be broken with the Lord's, not just woke in its own emotion. To write this message on the heart of the prophet, God allows Ezekiel's wife to die suddenly with a stroke. Then, after that, God forbid the prophet to mourn or to weep about it. Let me tell you something. When the man of God stood and proclaimed that Israel was dead, he knew something personal about the grief of God. You see, God called Hosea to prophesy to the nation at a time when her unfaithfulness had provoked God uh, to refer to her literally as a whore. And in spite of Israel's whoredoms, God still loved her deeply. God could not cast her off. And now hear me, Hosea could observe the the dilemma. He could have observed it. He might have preached a fervent message on the tragedy of loving a person who's unfaithful. But listen to me. If the prophet is to actually feel what God felt, he has to suffer what God has suffered. Anybody can talk about God, but the prophet has to speak for God. And to speak for God, the man must experience what God experiences. He has to feel how God feels. And for Hosea to become the instrument through which God can speak, God will allow Hosea, to fall head over heels madly, hopelessly in love with a prostitute. God's word to Hosea was, Go, take unto thee a wife of whoredoms and children of whoredoms, for the land hath committed great whoredom, departing from the Lord. So he went and took Gomer, which conceived and bare him a son. And after, hear me now, after bearing children to Hosea, Gomer left and went back to her old lifestyle. She went back to her old life after being brought in. But just as God could not forget Israel, the prophet could not forget Gomer, his wife. Instead of leaving the unfaithful woman to her trade, Hosea went and brought her back. He bought her for 15 pieces of silver and one and a half homer of of barley you see hosea felt what god felt He was one with the message. God had a vessel through which He could live and bring healing. And listen to me today. If you sit here in this church and you wonder why hell has been beating down your front door, it's because God is allowing a forging season to produce a vessel out of you in these years and in this time. God Almighty is forging a church without spot or wrinkle, without blemish, a church that is awake and not woke, a church That will carry the torch of Pentecost into the dark places to combat evil, not by its mind and not by its power, but by the river of the spirit that's flowing in these altars. Hallelujah. One of these days coming soon, church. Gabriel is going to step out on the veranda of heaven and he's going to blow his trumpet and we're going to look into an eastern sky that's been split like the veil of the temple and Jesus is going to come riding through on a white horse with flame in his eyes and a sword coming from his mouth to bring back a church that's winning souls in Pentecostal power in these last days. Listen to me. Are you going to be a part of that number? Are you going to be a part of that militant army of God that's walking, that's been through the fire that's been through the flood that suffered the isolation that suffered the depression that suffered the rejection are you going to be in that number are you going to be awake or are you going to be woke it's God leaving the heat on forging you in a vessel or are you planted in the river of the bank of the spirit where are you this morning where are you because listen to me if you are planted at the bank of the river with your roots running deep In the spirit, I want to ask you this morning, would you come to the front? Would you come to the front? Let me tell you something, worship team, go ahead and come on. These last days that are coming, they they are here. They're not just coming, they are here. And God is needing a church that has been branded with fire that, you know what, it might not look how it used to look. But it's a church that still honors the same Holy Ghost that moved in power then, and he'll move in power now. He needs a body of people that aren't so stuck on themselves that they don't move whenever the call is given, but a body of people that's willing to look so undignified as this, that they're willing to go into the highways and the byways. They're willing to to fight the evil, the, the darkness that the, the devil is trying to win over this country in these last days. He's looking for a church, firebrand church. If you're here this morning and you're not filled with the Holy Ghost, with the baptism of the Holy... Baptism of the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues. I would like for you to also come to the front because the fact is, is that you're not going to do too well without it. You don't have to speak in tongues to go to heaven, but you get to. Brother Johnson said the other day, he said, salvation was the gift for the sinner. He said, speaking in tongues, the baptism of the Holy Ghost, that's the gift for the saint. So if you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit, we're going to pray this morning, and I would like for you to let me know that. But today, maybe you've been getting forged for quite a while now. Maybe you've been rolling over the fire. The heat's been hot. The rejection's been real. Why don't you come and just drink from the river for a little while? Why don't you make that your life's posture? To drink from the river. Because it's at the river where the trees grow and the fruit comes and the leaves drop and they bring healing. It's nowhere else but the river. You're going to try and find a counterfeit everywhere and you're always going to be disappointed. But this is the river, and if you're part of that army this morning of the Lord, willing to be forged even when it hurts, this is our time. Let's take a drink at the river this morning in Jesus' name.